You know, we have worshipped the Lord here, and every Sunday we do, um, with one goal, and that is to bring people into the presence of God. And uh, that's what music does. That's what our goal here is today, that you focus on God. And uh, these words that you've heard sung today, they encourage our hearts. They remind us of who God is to us. And so, you know, all throughout biblical history, all throughout history, really human history, uh, people have gathered to worship the Lord. In the Old Testament days, they gathered in the synagogue, the tabernacle, or the temple. The New Testament days, they gathered in the temple or in homes, and then began to meet in groups like this, in churches. And always it was to praise and to sing and to lift high the name of God and to hear God's word taught and read. And so we are carrying on that. And it's more than a tradition. It's more than just something we do. There's meaning to it. And as, as you experience what we experience here today, we are all lifted up, are we not? We're all encouraged. We're all blessed. It strengthens our souls, and that's the purpose of it, because it, it brings us in the presence of God. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. When His people praise Him, he, He's already here with us, but He kind of shows up in a, in a different way when the people of God are together praising Him. He manifests Himself in His presence in a different way that we can literally feel. And you can do this throughout the week in your daily quiet time and your, your worship alone with God. And it's, it can be just as meaningful. But that's no substitute for coming together as the people of God. As the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it's all about Him. Remember the scripture we read last week, Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, whatever we do, we're to do it as unto Him. With all of our heart, not unto men. And so this isn't a show that we put on every Sunday for you to be entertained. This is for us to be ushered into the presence of God. And that's the way we approach it. It's all about God. It's all for God. It's all to God. And that's what we've been talking about in this, the fear of God study that we've been looking at on Sunday mornings. Is our whole lives are to be directed towards Him and Him alone. And all of us struggle with worrying about what other people think. We do. Now, don't lie to yourself. And don't let the devil lie to you. We worry what other people think. It may be your spouse. It may be your boyfriend or your, the girl you want to be your girlfriend or the boy you want to be your boyfriend. Or, or it may be your coworker, or it may be your boss or it may be somebody else that you just worry about what they think. And uh, we're not to do that. In fact, there's many scriptures that tell us that. We're not to compare ourselves with ourselves, the Bible says. That's unwise. And we're not to be overly consumed with what other people think about us as that which dictates our thoughts and our actions. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. That is, when, when we are overly worried and concerned about what other people think or how they're going to respond or whether they will like us, if we actually are honest and, and uh, genuine before them, then that's the fear of man. And it's like the word snare we've looked at in Proverbs 29, 25 means a noose, like a ring of the nose that they would use to control a wild bull. And all they had to do was tug on that ring that was in his nose and that bull would surrender and submit to whatever that master wanted it to do. Sometimes we're like that. You let the right person tug on you and... 
It's because that's the person you want to please. That's the person you want to impress. You'll do almost anything. And that's the fear of man. And we looked at it last week. We looked at several snares. We've, we've talked about the snare of deceit. That is, we'll lie. Or we'll try to deceive without actually telling a lie. Like Abraham did. We'll act in a cowardly way like Nicodemus did. He came to Jesus by night and the, many of the rulers and even the people of the land were afraid to openly profess Jesus Christ because they would be put out of the Jewish synagogue. The fear of man will lead us to compromise our convictions as Aaron did at the base of Mount Sinai when he had, or the people asked him to construct for them a God that they could worship because they didn't know about this Moses. He had gone up on the mountain and they hadn't seen him in a while and they hadn't seen the presence of God in a while so Aaron succumbed and compromised and built them a golden calf and they worshipped it. Another snare of the fear of man is disobedience. When we're worried about what people think, we'll disobey God. Like Saul did. God told him to destroy the Amalekites and he kept the king alive and the choice of the animals to make a sacrifice. And that's where Samuel reminded Saul, as God said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And he says, and idolatry is iniquity and rebellion is as witchcraft. And see, that's what happens sometimes. We put other people in front of God. That's idolatry. The fear of man is nothing less than idol worship. It's being more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. More concerned about what your friends say than what God says. And it'll lead us up and it'll cause us to live a disobedient life. Last week we talked about the mask that we all wear. We put it on every morning. Sometimes we're not even realize we're wearing it because we're so accustomed to it. And we even take our mask off and put on another one depending on the circumstances as they change or the, uh, the, uh, or the uh, locations as they change. We go to work, we wear one mask. We go to church, we wear another. And we just take our mask off at home and we are who we really are. That's people pleasing. And that's a snare of the fear of man. And uh, we know that's a sin. As God reminds us uh, that we're to do things not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. So today I want to try to wrap this up as we talk about some more snares of the fear of man that we can fall into. And I want to invite you uh, to either look at the screen or turn, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We'll talk about the snare of injustice. Pilate was the governor at the time of Jesus' trial and eventual crucifixion. And in Matthew chapter 27, we'll pick up with verse 15. And we'll read through verse 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, Pilate was asking this question, knowing in his heart that any common sense person would do what? Ask for, Bar- ask for uh, Jesus to be released and condemn Barabbas. After all, Barabbas is the murderer. Jesus is not guilty of murder. He's not even guilty of theft. He just has this little, they just have this little, 
personality conflict with him. So Pilate is, is thinking, they're going to choose Barabbas for me to, I mean, they're going to choose Jesus for me to release. Well, they surprised him. He knew that they had handed Jesus over because of envy. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with this just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Persuaded the multitudes. They got the crowd stirred up to do wrong. To do something unjust. Beware in going along with the crowd, by the way. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Even if it's written in a law, it doesn't make it right. The governor, verse 21, answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Again, I think he's expecting them to say Jesus. But they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, well, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? Pilate knew he was innocent. But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See, Pilate is acknowledging that Jesus was innocent. He said, you see to it. But yet Pilate had the power to release him. Pilate had the power to overrule the crowd and release Jesus. He had the power to do that. And all the people answered, verse 25, said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus scourged and delivered him to be crucified. I want you to listen to this passage to you. In Mark chapter 15, verse 15, it says, So you got to turn a page here. He says, Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd. You ever found yourself in that position, folks? We may think it's all a teenager issue peer pressure. I know for certain it's not just a teenager issue. I know for certain that pressures are put upon adults in their jobs and in social circles to do things that are wrong, to do unjust things. And you want to go along just to gratify the crowd because it's easier to just go along. What's the old saying? Go along to what? Get along. Who are you trying to get along with? Them or God? But when you go along with the crowd just to get along with the crowd, who are you not getting along with? You're displeasing God. Just to gratify the crowd. Listen to what John chapter 19. The same story. Gospel of John 19 verse 12 says, Pilate sought to release Jesus. 
But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Christ. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and set him down in the judgment seat. So now they're appealing to Pilate's desire to please his boss. To do something unjust in the name of protecting his job. Friends, it's never right to act unjustly. Never. Never. Even if you lose your job. What's more important to you? Things eternal or things temporal? Earthly things or heavenly things? People things or God things? You see how easy it is for, to, for us to succumb to the fear of man and we don't even realize it? The fear of man most often leads to downright positive sin. And it will hamper our usefulness in times of crisis. I know that there have been plenty of you who have stood up to injustice, to injustice. You've stood when you needed to stand. I know some of you have done that personally. I know. I know that there are others that I don't know, but you've done that. It was hard, wasn't it? It was difficult. You took heat. Maybe you lost something. Some credibility, maybe, in the eyes of those people. Maybe some friends. Maybe some money. But your conscience was clear. And you knew you had done the right thing. You see, there's a lot of injustice in this world today. Just think about them. Abortion is one of them. There's a lot of unjust things happening in our world. Eli Weisel said, there may be times when we're powerless to prevent injustice. But there must never be a time when we fail to protest injustice. You see, just because you think you can't do anything about a certain situation that you know is unjust, doesn't mean you should not stand against it. Editor, school teacher, and Presbyterian clergyman, Elijah Lovejoy, left the pulpit and returned to the press in order to be sure that his words reached more people. The Civil War might have been averted and a peaceful emancipation of slaves achieved had there been more like Elijah Lovejoy. After observing one lynching, Lovejoy was committed forever to fighting uncompromisingly the awful sin of slavery. Mob action was brought against him time after time. Neither this nor many threats and attempts on his life deterred him. Repeated destruction of his presses did not stop him. He said, if I compromise is meant that I should cease from my duty, I cannot make it. I fear God more than I fear man. Crush me if you will, but I shall die at my post. And die he did. Four days later, at the hands of another mob, and not one of those who killed him were ever prosecuted. But one young man witnessed all of that. He was around. He was a contemporary of Elijah Lovejoy. 
He was deeply moved by that martyrdom. He had just been elected to the Illinois legislature, soon to become the President of the United States. You know him, Abraham Lincoln. And it was at the hands of Abraham Lincoln that we had the Emancipation Proclamation that ended slavery in this country, an injustice in this world. Because one man was willing to die for what he believed in, what was right. Are you there yet? Injustice. The fear of man will keep you from standing up against wrong. When you know it's wrong, but everybody else saying it's right, you want to agree with the crowd because you don't want to stand out and be persecuted. I challenge us as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, more of us need to stand against sin and injustice in our world than there are people doing it. More of us. You do. Be willing to at your job. Think about the injustice at your job. Think about the compromises, the the deceit, all the snares that you've encountered in your life that you've given into. And every one of us has fallen into these snares at one time or another. But let's rise up. This is not a time, the times that we live in, this is not a time for the people of God to cower in fear. And what we fear is a man or a woman or even a group of people. And who are they compared to Almighty God? Nobody. What will I fear what man can do to me? If God is for me, somebody finish it. Who can be against me? Over and over, that's why I challenge you, read the Bible, read the Old Testament. Hordes of numberless people came against God's people. Jehoshaphat, I read again, one of my favorite stories in all the scriptures, 2 Chronicles 20. A whole mass of multi-nations came against them, a numberless horde. And Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. He was asking God to deliver him. And those nations began to fight each other. And the next morning when Jehoshaphat and the army went out to stand against them, they were all dead. They had all killed each other. Jehoshaphat and his army didn't have to lift a finger. You see, they were. but God had told them through the prophet, you've got to go out and face them. He said, go out and face them. Don't cower behind the walls. Go out and face your enemy. Go out and face those who are coming against God. And watch what God will do. The Israelite army was cowering on the other side of the valley while Goliath was over there mocking God. And they didn't want to go face him. David said, I'll face him. Little bitty shepherd boy David said, I'll face him. It took a teenager, boys, to face a giant. And he went out there and he faced him. And all he had was a sling and five smooth stones. And all it took was one. And it killed the giant. But David had to face him. 
It's not time for the church, of peop- the church, the people of God, to cower behind the walls of their church buildings. It's time for us to face the injustice and the sin in this world and stand up and count for something worth counting for, and that's Jesus Christ and His Holy Word. If we don't, we will find ourselves in the next snare, and that's the snare of denying Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, you know the story well, in verses 69 through 75. Peter sat outside in the courtyard. This is after Jesus' arrest. All the disciples forsook him. uh, Peter's now in the courtyard where the Jesus' trial is going on inside, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them. For your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out, and he wept bitterly. Peter was put under incredible pressure at this time. Jesus is the one that called him Peter, the rock. But now he's acting more like a limp dishrag. Then he is a rock. Let me ask you that. Have you ever been there? You Sometimes you feel like a rock. You feel like you're spiritually strong. And you go out to work, you go out to school, or you go out some social circle, and you're faced with standing for Christ or keeping quiet. And see, maybe none of us here today, hopefully, have ever come out and said, I don't know Jesus, I don't love Jesus, I'm not a Christian, I don't want anything to do. Maybe none of us have ever done that. That's what Peter did. He verbally denied knowing Christ. Maybe none of you have ever done that, but I guarantee you most of us, if not all of us, have denied him with our silence, with our lack of words. And we left that place when we had opportunity to be the rock, and we walked away, we felt like a wimp, because that's how we acted. That's how Peter was acting. Of course, much to Peter's credit, after the Holy Spirit at Pentecost had come upon him, he began to preach and stand against all kinds of famous and powerful people and profess publicly Jesus Christ. And he died as a martyr rather than deny Jesus again. No sin has sent more people to hell than the fear of man. No sin has robbed Christians of witnessing opportunities more than the fear of man. It's what keeps us quiet when it comes to Jesus. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to talk about God? But how difficult it is to talk about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? You start putting the word Jesus, the name Jesus, in the conversation. And you'll start seeing how uncomfortable people get. And how uncomfortable they start acting because there's something about that name that people just make them cringe if they're not saved. I'm going to read this story. It was written by another man 
I'll read it in the first person, but I want you to understand it's not my story. He writes this, I was once conducting a rap session with high school teenagers. I told them that they could ask me any question on any subject and I would try and answer it. Their questions were typical questions that I had received in similar sessions scores of times before. As the session drew to a close, one girl toward the back who had not said anything raised her hand. and She said, the Bible says God loves everybody. But then it says God sends people to hell. How can a loving God do that? So this man says, I gave her my answer and she came back to me with arguments. He said, I answered her arguments and she had answers for my answers. And then the conversation quickly degenerated into an argument. I did not convince her, nor did she convince me. After a few more questions, I dismissed the session. After the session, he says, I approached the young lady and said, I owe you an apology. I really should not have allowed our discussion to become so argumentative. Then I asked, may I share something with you? And she said, yes. So he took her through the basic presentation of the gospel out of the scriptures. And he came to Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He just let the Holy Spirit speak to her. She began to cry. It was then that this high school senior admitted that she had been having an affair with a married man. The one thing she needed was forgiveness. When he finished presenting the gospel to her, she trusted Christ. But the reason she didn't believe in hell was because she was going there, he said. In her heart, she knew she had sinned. Her conscience condemned her. But rather than face the fact of her guilt, she simply denied any future judgment or future hell. You see, for Christians, our way of denying Christ is just by our silence. When we should be speaking for him. And I guarantee you, every one of us here today have been guilty of denying Christ this week. I know that we've had opportunities to share our faith when we didn't. You know that too. You're guilty. I'm guilty. But there are people here today, perhaps, who are guilty of denying Christ in a completely different way. They want to deny that he was the Son of God. They want to deny that he died on the cross, that he need, even needed to. Because the Bible says he died for our sin. And some deny that they're even sinners. And some don't want to admit that what they're doing is sin. They deny that they have sinned and done anything wrong. They deny the existence of God. They reject the idea that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again as just pretend. And the reason they're denying that is because their conscience has been pricked. Their lifestyle is wrong. And if they admit that there's a God, if they, if they admit that Jesus Christ died and shed His blood then they have to admit that they need him. They have to admit that what they are doing is wrong. They don't want to have to give account to anybody. They, don't, they want somebody to rubber stamp their sin and say, 
It's okay. Everybody's doing it. Society has accepted it. Accepted it. It's all right to live together. It's all right to, to have sex before you're married. It's all right to be gay. It's all right to do this. It's all right to do that. Everybody's doing it. And you don't want to say it's wrong because if you do, you know you're accountable to God. And so you just, it's just easier for your conscience just to say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. But listen, that's the sin that'll send you straight to hell when you die. God does not send people to hell. But God also does not force people into heaven. He's given you every opportunity by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin in your place, to take your punishment, my punishment, upon Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's done everything He needs to do. The ball's in your court. It's up to you now. Will you deny Christ? Or will you commit to Christ? Give Him your life. The fear of man will keep you from doing that. Because that means you're going to have to run counterculture. To say to your friends that you've been running with, drinking with, smoking dope with, sleeping around with, to say that your lifestyle is wrong and that you're giving your life to Christ means that you're going to have to face them and they're going to make fun of you and laugh at you and you're gonna, you have to realize you've got to give that up. You've got to repent of that sin to be able to trust Christ Jesus as Lord. But if you're more concerned about what this group of people thinks and what God says, that's why the fear of man is number one, one of the main sins that sends people to hell. They're not willing to run counterculture. That's one, the main reason I think Christians are not more effective witnesses for Christ. You know there's lost people out there. You know there's people that are doing things out there that they have no business doing. But you don't want to say anything because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to offend them. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, where are you going to offend them to? They're already headed to hell. <laughs> what are you worried about offending them to? But you might just rescue them in a spirit of love. Confront them as Jesus did with their sin in love as he did the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the thief on the cross. And you might just rescue some sinners from going to hell. But not if you're consumed with the fear of man. Not if you're worried about offending them. Not if you're worried about what they might think of you. Not if you're worried about losing something temporal instead of gaining something eternal. I think in this series we have seen a mirror of ourselves and we don't like it. We don't like it. We'd rather put the mirror down. And you'll be, you, some of you are going, I'll be glad when Brother Lee gets off this series. 
but it's where we live. It's who we are. It's not really who we are, but it is where we live. Who we are is created in Christ Jesus. And we need to start living who we are. Sons and daughters of God. We're not sons and daughters of the world. We don't belong here. You know, we're foreigners. That's what the Bible says. We're strangers. This is not our home. You ever been to a foreign country? I've been to several. And every foreign country I've been to, I don't speak the native language. I don't look like they look. I don't dress like they dress. And I don't eat like they eat. I went to, from Pearl River, Louisiana, which was more like Mississippi people because we're so close to the Mississippi line, but we're still in Louisiana, to the heart of Cajun country. Got one of my Cajun, new, my new Cajun friend here. And I guarantee you, Cy speaks Cajun French, don't you? I tried to learn it. I picked up on a few things. But when I go knocking on some doors and talking to people about the Lord, I'd open the door and I'd say, Hi, my name is Lee Waller. The first thing out of their mouth was, You're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I said, No, but uh, I'm here now. How could you tell? Well, you don't talk like us, yeah? You know? And, um, yeah, my last name wasn't Thibodeau or Fontenot or Mayo. You know, it, uh, it was Waller. That was foreign to them. I stood out. I was different. For physical reasons. Because I was a foreigner. But you know, after 15 years there, during that 15 years we were there, they embraced us and, and loved us. But uh, we still stood out. And, and when you're a foreigner somewhere, you stand out. You're not supposed to be like the rest of them. We're foreigners here. We're strangers in this land. Spiritually speaking, we don't think like, act like, do like the rest of the world. And if we do, listen, if you're doing everything the world's doing, are you saved? I'm not even sure you're saved if you can be comfortable doing everything the world's doing. Living like the world's living. And thinking there's nothing wrong with it. But yet you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? Something's wrong with that picture. But when you belong to Jesus Christ, you do stand out. You're different. You don't do the things they do. You don't go the places they go. You don't act the way they act. You don't talk the way they talk. You're different. And you're going to be picked on and bullied and persecuted for it. It's going to cost you something here to gain something forever. But the fear of man says, oh no, don't do that. You want everybody to love you and like you and get along. My friends, we need to come before God with our fear of man. Just lay it down. Say, God, here it is. I'm guilty. I'm living in it. And it's ugly. I've seen it. Didn't even realize I had it. But it's eating me alive and it's keeping me from being the man or the woman or the boy or the girl of Christ that I'm supposed to be. And I'm sick of it. And I'm giving it up to you. And I pray by your grace that you'd help me day by day to overcome it. I want to be your representative in this world. 
How many of you say, I want to die like Peter died, weep, uh, guilty and weeping bitterly? Or you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit where you're willing to stand up for Christ and speak for Him? I don't think any of us want to be the pre-Pentecost Peter. I think most of us want to be the post-Pentecost Peter, filled with the Spirit, willing to stand against even kings professing faith in Christ. Father God, we need your help to do this. We cannot do it alone. In our strength, we are weak. But in our weakness, your strength is perfected. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning in weakness. We admit we are guilty of the fear of man. And it manifests itself in so many ugly ways. And it's displeasing to you. And God, we confess it as sin. And we ask that you would cleanse us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you would grant us your grace and power that we might live to represent you more faithfully in this world. God, that we would stand against injustice and sin and wrong. That we would count for you instead of denying you with our silence day after day after day. And not even ashamed of it. Peter was ashamed of it. We do it every day and we don't even know it. And we're not even ashamed of it. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Have mercy on us. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's been living a life of denying you, not believing in you, they just want to keep going on in their sin. They want somebody to accept them even though they're doing wrong. God, I pray that you would break them, convict them mightily by the power of your Holy Spirit. You said the Holy Spirit's come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in you. Of righteousness because you, Lord Jesus, have gone to the Father. And of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, is being judged. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, convict them. Weigh them down heavy with their sin until they scream out, God, I, you're right, I'm wrong, I've sinned, and I need your forgiveness. And that they would believe upon you, Lord Jesus, that you took their sin on yourself. You paid for it every bit. That they would believe in you and commit their life to you. Would you help them to do that today? If that's you, would you just pray with me?